This is episode number 215 of the Rise Man podcast with Jason Gaddis. An underdeveloped human skill is emotional agility. Welcome back, Rising Man fam. Thank you for joining me again today. Jetty Azuma here, checking in behind the mic for another episode of the Rising Man podcast. I've been talking about it all month. It's out there. No, the secret is out of the bag, but we want you guys to know about the Rising Man Brotherhood. A personal invitation, asking you guys to jump in, to step up and be a bigger part of the community. We've now expanded our membership into multiple tiers, all the way from free participation that gives you access to our Rising Man Telegram space, all the way up to our our fire circles, which gives you access to teams, leadership, and some of the highest level elite leadership trainings that are available today. I'm telling you guys, it's an amazing community at this point. You guys have no reason not to be a part of it now. We eliminated all excuses and we have our official kickoff of this new community, July 12th. So you can register now, lock in reduced pricing throughout the month of June. We're almost at the end. So make sure you go on, get your reduced price today and get in the community. Risingman.org slash brotherhood. All right, our guest for today is Jason Gaddis. Jason is a relationship student and teacher and host of the Smart Couple podcast. Jason is on a mission to teach people the one class they didn't get in school, how to do romantic relationships. That's why he founded the Relationship School. He was emotionally constipated for years before relationship failure forced him to turn his life over to learning about relationships. Now he's been married to his amazing wife since 2007 after some brutal breakups and has two beautiful kids. In this episode, Jason and I discussed containment of emotions when we were kids, how to lead children through emotional learning, and why all men must learn how to feel. How to be the rock of your family by first redefining what the rock is. What to do when we get triggered by other people's emotions. Explaining emotional reactivity and how to recover from a raw emotional response. And lastly, explaining emotional breakdowns and how to execute the communication recovery cycle. This and so much more, but without further ado, Jason Gaddis. All right, Rising Man fam, I've got another wonderful man joining me here today, Jason Gaddis, coming in from Boulder, Colorado, man. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks, Jetty. Yeah. I thought about complaining about how chilly it was down here in Santa Cruz because we dipped into the 40s last night, but I remember seeing one of your stories <laughs> recently. You guys are in the single digits out to, at times out there. That's right. Even in the spring, sometimes it'll snow. Like We're probably going to get a snow or two before June. Usually that happens sometime late spring. Uh-huh. Wonderful, man. Well, let, let me ask you, uh, is, you're not originally from Colorado, are you? I'm not. I was born and raised in Salt Lake City, Utah. Salt Lake City. Okay. So you are like a Rocky Mountains kind of guy. I was going to ask, why did you choose Colorado uh, what, to settle there? I, totally. I, I'm a, definitely a mountain man uh, by heart. And um, I came here because of graduate school. It was the only grad school I really wanted to come to. So. Got it. Okay. And and you're a family man as well. You have, uh, I believe two children yeah. married 14 years together, 18, uh, a couple of bad breakups in there and two kids, 13 boy, that's 13. And my daughter is 11. Wow. Okay. So a lot to learn from you there, man. Um, let's just jump right in. I always ask my guests this question to start off. What does it mean to be a man? Hmm. Uh, yeah, I haven't been asked that in a while. Nice. Uh, it means to be a human. It means to be, uh, who you are, who you're becoming, whatever that looks like, uh, outside of, especially outside of all the constructs of what that answer typically is strong, you know, tough, all the, all the bullshit. 
I love that answer. It's not one that I get every time, but I really respect guys who take that perspective. Uh, to me, what I hear in that answer is considering that there's more to being a man than what society usually offers to us. And so right what are the things you think get left out the most and that we, we could benefit from incorporating more into our journey of manhood? You know, you could say just the entire quote feminine side um, of a man or what we could call maybe more relational capacities, nurturance, um, kindness, like um, the ability to connect, um, the ability to feel. Yeah, I think that's in the sort of modern conditioning of men that's still going on, boys and men, it's, it's still the same old shit of, you know, don't act emotional or weak or needy or sensitive or any of that stuff. And I think that's a travesty, especially if we want more beautiful conscious dudes in the world, then it starts with how we raise boys, you know, and how we um, treat them. I really appreciate and respect that perspective, especially having a young and very expressive boy myself. He's, he's six going on seven. And I know for me, it was really, really challenging when he was first starting to feel into his big feelings around the age of three. He's one yeah. of those boys that is very physically expressive. That was really yeah. hard for me because all of my memories of growing up as a boy was containment. I contained yeah, so exactly. much of my emotions and I got, I survived in the world. I learned to survive that way. My parents were happy with the fact that I wasn't overly yeah. emotional and expressive. And so um, I, I wonder how your journey has been as a father and if it was similar with your son and how you've, how you've nurtured healthy emotions in your child in your children, both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I love that. Um, the containment piece I got as well, that download. Yeah. So of course I have a very expressive son as well, who, when he throws a tantrum, uh, not so much anymore, but when he was especially, you know, six and under he, you know, it's full body tantrums, ex you know, screaming, jumping up and down, powerful, powerful little guy. And, uh, yeah, at times it was a lot, um, but it's just like my capacity to feel and learn to feel over the years. And it, it was really a good practice for me to just hold him, you know, metaphorically, energetically kind of while he was in those meltdowns and tantrums and, and they always pass like any kid, right? They, especially if you allow it, it's like, yeah, just get it out, man. I'm here. I'm right here with you. Um, so it was really cool practice for my wife and I, for sure. And I think that's the mistake a lot of parents make. I know I for sure have made that in the past where I, I used to jump into the emotional space with him instead of being just a, a conscientious uh -huh. observer, right? Somebody who's <laughs> right. holding the space for him and saying, Hey, I'm right here. Not like yeah. that anchor in the storm. Yeah. I think of, um, yeah. you ever see that movie yeah. Twister with Helen Hunt? No. Oh okay. yeah, I did actually. I did see that movie. Yes. Going, going way back yep. where the, in that, yep. the, the tornado's spinning and they're, they're anchored down to that pipe, that water pipe yeah. coming out of the ground. It's like being that water pipe when our kids are swirling around and it's, it's a lot easier said than done. It's easier when you're not in the midst uh -huh. of that emotional swirl. Yeah. And it's easier when you've done some inner work, right? When you can keep flexing those muscles of the capacity to feel your own feelings, your own rage, your own sadness, your own, all that stuff. Yeah. I would even venture to say there's no way I would even be, it would be possible for me to do that for my kids had I not done that. So that's Agreed. a, that's a good pivot point. So what do you think is the, the work that's required? I mean, there's the work, right? That's yeah. throw it up in quotes. Cause everybody refers to the work these days. What do you think is the emotional heavy lifting that we've got to do in order to be able to, to be that space? Well, men, men in particular have got to learn to feel like it's imperative. Um, if you're a man out there listening and you don't know how to feel yet, or you're just starting, um, congratulations if you're just starting, cause 
your relational life as a father, as a husband, as a partner, um, as a business person, uh, as a leader in the world is going to be dramatically enhanced if you know how to feel, because you're, that means you know how to connect with other people and you can empathize with other people and you can feel other people's experience and feed it back to them. And, uh, it's, it's a, it's a power skill and it's, uh, you know, we, it makes sense that you maybe have a hard time because how you were raised, but that's not, shouldn't be an excuse to not learn. And it is scary. Trust me. I, I, when I first went to therapy in the, my, for six months, my therapist was like, what are you feeling? And I, my answer for six months was, I don't know, or nothing. Um, and then it eventually turned into numb and then it was, I'm starting to feel something, but I don't know what it is. And then it, I, you know, started to dethaw the big iceberg and it all came spilling out. So, you know, two decades plus of repressed emotions, you know, it's what we sometimes have to go through and it's going to be a journey to, to feel, and it's not always comfortable. Oh, definitely not comfortable. I'm really fascinated by that part of your story. What was the, what was the breakthrough point where you went from feeling nothing or not even knowing what a feeling was to graduating through those different progressions you said, like numb and then other things? Yeah. Well, I was, I was uh, motivated. Right. And, um, so I was, uh, I was on the tail end of 10 years of failed relationships with women where I was blaming them every time. Uh, and I finally realized I was the one common denominator. So that's what got me into therapy and got me into graduate school to study psychology in the first place, just tremendous amount of pain and depression and anxiety. And I was like, dude, I got to figure this part of my life out. Mm -hmm. So as I went to therapy, you know, I, I knew deep down, I was like, I know there's a lot going on in here. Right. And, um, I had a very skilled therapist who just kept chipping away at me. And she did a series of, she was a gestalt therapist and she did a series of experiments with me that had me, um, start to feel including like putting a blanket over me and turning her back on me and doing all kinds of shit to just get me to like react in some way. And I started to feel man, and it was really, really powerful. And I, I was longing, right. To be seen and known. Cause I, I felt like I was, uh, as a young man seen for my performance and my, the things I was doing but I wasn't seen for who I actually was. And that was partly because of, I had a mask on and I was just performing and like getting people to like me. But deep down inside, I was, I was in a lot of pain and, and she was the first person that started to recognize that. And it felt really scary to be seen by her, but also really good at the same time. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I really can relate to that the way you describe it. Um, I didn't, I didn't do years of therapy like you did, but similar experiences. I, the first place I go to is my body. And connecting mm -hmm. to the experiences that I imagine you felt in your body, where I, I describe it as a bubbling up, where uh -huh. it hasn't quite gotten to the expression point. Right. It feels like it's yeah. bubbling up in my body, these old experiences and similar. I want them to be seen. I want to be, I want to be able to share that, but it's also the scariest thing in the world until it comes out. And oftentimes it's not even, not even anywhere near as bad as I thought it would have been to get it out yeah. to the open, which is almost always what I hear men say when they go through processes like this for the first time. Totally. Yeah. And it's very freeing, man. It's like the years of just burden, you know, I was just started lifting off me and, and then eventually I joined a men's group and, uh, I did some other group work, but yeah, it's, uh, it's just, it's a very important step on our path as men is to feel. So let's keep leading off of emotions and feelings there. Cause I think that's still a place that a lot of men get confused. Um, okay. So everyone's saying that I should be a man who feels things now, but some mm -hmm. people are saying, well, we don't want men who feel too much. And it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a confusing narrative out there. If you kind of get lost in the, in the social web. Uh, yeah. So, 
so what is what do you share with men when it comes when you have a man who's open who says hey I'm I'm willing to consider feeling I want to be able to learn learn how to do this but where do I balance between being the rock for my family but then also being able to feel my feelings how do I reconcile those two Yeah it's a good question I mean look being a rock these days is different than my dad being a rock right so we have to redefine rock um my dad it was very important that he actually was pretty emotionless and pretty stoic to get through the shit he went through and same with his dad and his dad and his dad. And we're just living in different times and and being a rock doesn't mean being a fucking granite boulder anymore. It means actually being like a, a very porous, uh, agile, um, I don't know, uh, rock that's just movable, you know, that's flexible and that's can bend and that's uh, vulnerable. And cause I think the, the reframe now is that I think, uh, you know, about is your strength is also your vulnerability, right? There's, there's deep strength in that. And my wife, while at times she loves my strength, if like a stranger comes to the door and she's like, who the fuck is that guy? And like, to just have, to feel like my protector come online. Yeah. Like I want to be in that mindset and that body and embody that protector energy at times. But in, in the next moment, I want to be able to hug her and hold her and allow her to feel my softness and my care and my, my, the fact that maybe I had a really shitty day and all my shame came up today. And I, I want her to know that part of me also. Um, so it is, it's, a, it's about being agile, right? Like sometimes we need to be both, um, strong and sometimes just need to be soft and gushy. Yeah. Which, which a lot of guys may not want to hear it, but it requires a sensitivity, not a sensitivity that we equate to softness, but a sensitivity where we're really using our senses. We're especially our listening. And I'm not just talking about listening with our ears, but really listening for what's, what's happening in this dynamic and what's most required of me to create safety, whether it's with my family or just the people who I'm spending time with right now, what is my role? What is needed of me right now to create stability in this, in this room? Totally. Yeah. And I, I think like the example of the story from yesterday, actually, I go to pick up my kids from school yesterday and my daughter, I can see her face is just like, and my son is not, he hasn't come out of the building yet. My daughter comes out and I can see she's about in tears and I'm like, Oh, she had a, she had a rough one. Mm-hmm. So she gets in the car in the back seat and I, she just starts, you know, tears start dripping down her face and I'm like, come up here, honey. Just, you know, daddy's got you just come sit in my lap. I can see something's going on. And she climbed into the front seat and just, laid in my lap and just started crying. And, um, it, it's like, I, I want to be that to my kids, right? I want to be that for my kids. I think a lot of men who don't know how to feel and are trying to be too much of a rock, their kids actually won't feel safe enough to do that. Right. My kids know I have the capacity to handle whatever they got going on. Right. And I might get triggered depending on the, the emotional expression in the moment, but I, my recovery is pretty fast and I can come back. But I think most guys, if they're honest, they, they, they have deferred, a lot of guys my age have deferred the emotional nurturing care to their wife, to a woman in a heteronormative relationship. And that's a bummer because I would assert that a lot of men have the same capacity as the, as the woman does, but he just hasn't learned how to do it. And so he, now he's deferring and then letting himself off the hook that like, cool, I don't have to do that. And then they get resentful that their kids aren't coming to them in a time of need. They're always going to mom. And it's like, well, then fucking start showing up and learning how to emotionally connect with your kid. 
Agreed, man. And what a beautiful image that you painted there. Cause I think that's something that I was just imagining. I actually thought about my mom for a moment. You know, my mom comes mm. from an Italian family that immigrated here. And so her parents have that old school European Italian mentality where they came to this new country and they needed to harden up. And I know right. that so much of the story coming out of that side of the family is who my mom and her, my aunts and uncles, who they felt they needed to be because of what they saw from their parents and what's modeled. Yeah. And so I just imagined right. that if you were the rock, like the traditional rock that didn't show any emotions, of course, that's what your kids are going to think that they need to be, especially yeah. when they're not capable of it, right? Like 11 and 13 yeah. year olds, that's, that's a really big ask to ask them totally. to be just uh, to contain all that emotion. Yeah. And had I not worked on myself, another possibility is I would have shamed her for being so fucking emotional. Like, God, what is your problem now? Suck or, it up. Yeah. Suck it up. Like, honey, it's not that big of a deal. And minimized her feelings, invalidated her feelings and drove him home where she's like, okay, I clearly can't bring my emotional shit to this guy. He's not going to, you know, listen mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. Well, and I think that the emotional spectrum is, it's not a very precise science. <laughs> There's not like a cookbook exactly. for who we need <laughs> yeah. to be given this particular emotional calling. So uh, let's just look at the other end of the spectrum, right? So there's um, emotional expansiveness where we can be sensitive and empathic and really meet our loved ones where they are in their emotions and vice versa. But what about those moments where we do need to, I don't want to say harden up, but pull it together and, 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 yeah. and make it through something. What's, what's your wisdom on that piece? Yeah. I mean, you said it right there, which is look, sometimes I just need, I do need to like, there's a time and a place to suck it up. Right. There's the business meeting or the, the, um, um, parent meeting or the whatever context, social context, where it's actually important for me to pull it together and, and show my, uh, that I've, I'm okay. I've got me, you know, mm -hmm. and it's going to be okay here. I, I send a message maybe to my family that like, you know, dad's struggling and I'm standing up hmm. and I'm standing tall and I'm, uh, it's okay. Like it, it's almost like telling my kids they're getting to the age now where I can share a little more about my journey, um, being an entrepreneur. And it's, there's some days where it's really hard. Right. And I can say, yeah, dad had a pretty hard day today, but I don't need them to like, and I might even open up a little more and I might even shed a tear once in a while, but I don't need them to take care of me. Right. The dynamic I don't want with my kids is that they're now taking care of dad. Yeah. Um, dad's got dad. Right. And dad's having a hard day. Dad's having a hard time, but I've got me. Yes. That's such an important distinction. That for me is what rings most true about how do I, how do I still maintain the best parts of what being the rock or the lighthouse in the storm for my family are, but still being a man who's capable of feeling, who allows myself yeah. to have that full experience of the emotional spectrum so that I don't become that ticking time bomb of contained emotions. That's ready to go off anywhere at any time. Totally. And, and I can give a, you know, we're giving a download to our kids every day, all day. So if I am stoic dad and I never share about the struggles of my life with my kids or they never see me suffer, all they see is a rock, right? It's the image I want to portray to them. And I'm like, then they, as you suggested, they grow up thinking they have to be that way. Mm -hmm. And I, I want them to grow up like being a person, which is, has a huge range of ups and downs highs and lows, ins and outs, twists and turns that this is, yeah, this is life. And, um, some days I'm fucking, I got my staff on the ground and I'm charging ahead with a smile on my face. And other days I'm like, feels like I'm slaying dragons, you know? And, um, it was, a, it was, I got beat up today. Kind of. <laughs> it's like, that's what's going on here. 
Uh, the honesty is so important and obviously yeah. age appropriate honesty. I think my, yeah. my yeah. six and three year old would understand it differently than your 13 and 11 year old can. Yeah. But yeah. something that comes up for me just in what you're sharing and what we're speaking about is what I see myself doing with my father and my son. I'm, I'm in the, that zone where yeah. I still remember what it's like to be a son. And I'm also practicing being a father. And my dad is the classic stoic provider. Right? That's what he did yeah. my whole life through some really, really difficult shit. And yeah. Now what I'm doing is I'm going back to him and saying, Hey dad, what was really going on when I was four years old, five years old? And he's giving me a completely different story and perspective now than yeah. I got then. So it's almost like I'm, I'm reconciling what I saw with what actually was going on for my dad so that I can give my son a more authentic experience. Cause otherwise yeah. I'm doing what we, what you just described. I'm just like, well, the only way to do this is to suck it up like dad did. And he never complained. So I guess that's what I need to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. It's beautiful. Yeah. And I, I think to even have a relationship with your dad is powerful too, to be able to ask him those kind of questions. And because not every guy's, you know, that fortunate and not every dad is that open to have a conversation. right? And, and it's, and, and still there's, there's so much more I'd love to know. It's like, it definitely is like scraping through concrete with a fork, but, um, yeah. <laughs> but it's coming along and I'm grateful for it. So yeah, I think for that reminder too, because I know a lot of people don't. There's some there's some men who just decided that I'm going to go through the whole, my whole life without ever cracking, and yeah. it's, that's really right. it's really sad. It's a really sad sad experience. Sad that men have yeah. feel like they need to do that. Yeah, completely. Yeah, uh, you said something back a few minutes ago that I typed out. I didn't want to miss it because you were talking about how we respond when we're when we're triggered by other people's emotions. I think you were talking about your children. You said that sometimes you can be triggered by their emotional expression, but that you recover very quickly. So yeah. I want you to just go a little bit more into that. What is the, what does recovery in those moments look like, or how do we respond when triggered by other people's emotions? Yeah. Well, um, first of all, it's normal, right. To mm -hmm. get triggered by other people's emotions, by their way of being, their behavior, their actions, their inactions, that's life. And I like to be agile again to, or aspire to be as agile as possible here. Right. So when, um, my kids are emotional, a tantrum, or my wife is really upset with me or in life. I have my natural kind of default setting reaction, which I call the scared animal, the scared animal, which is essentially your nervous system. And we go more into the hindbrain under stress. So I just react how I react. And some of us get quiet and shut down and some of us get loud and blame. And some of us, you know, there's all kinds of variations, right? Um, but it's about, okay, I, I do that. I have my reaction where I get triggered now and I'm upset. Um, I feel anxious. I feel angry. I feel mad, hurt, whatever it is, scared. And as quickly as possible after that minutes, hours, whatever it is, whatever I'm able to do that day, I want to speak to that. And then I want to have a conversation with who's upsetting me about that. And um, this is where being able to communicate and articulate our internal world and share it with someone else is, is essential. Uh, cause then they, it helps them understand us, right. And where we're coming from and why we act this way and why we react this way. Um, yeah. So it's just like a, I don't know, emotional relational awareness, I guess. Yeah. Which it sounds so simple when you explain it that way, but I think there's a big difference between simple and easy. I'm sure that yeah. there's many, yeah many moments, many repetitions that we get to do and put in to be able to even have those conversations, to even know where to begin. It's not something that anybody listening to this podcast is going to say, oh yeah, I could, now I've heard Jason say it, I can just go and apply that. Yeah. It's, it's more, more to it than that. 
Yeah. And and so let me just share a concept here, which is, <clears throat> excuse me, the, whenever there's a, a, a rupture, a disconnection, a communication breakdown, something, we go into some kind of uh, nervous system response, right? Most people know it as fight, flight, freeze. I call it, we posture, collapse, seek, or avoid, because um, those are the four directions we seem to go in my experience. And that's not the problem. The problem isn't how we react in the moment. That That is a bummer because sometimes we create a big mess. What matters the most and what the research shows is actually how quickly you can recover and repair, right? The mistake, the raised voice, um, the jerkiness, the asshole, whatever you did or didn't do. It's about the recovery. And if two people work together on the repair and reconnection process, um, man, that's what actually builds security in a long-term relationship. Yeah. And, and sometimes those recovery moments actually are twice the investment in the trust bank than if you had just not been reactive in the first place. This is definitely right. what I've learned in yeah. my relationship with my wife and also with my son, going back to my relationship with him. Even just last night, there is a moment where he was, we were at the dinner table and he starts eating with his hands. He's kind of a performer. He likes to do things to get a reaction. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's, he's eating with his hands. He knows that we don't like him to do that. So I asked him, I asked him three times not to do it because he was making a mess. It was getting all over the place. And my, my reaction to him pushed him over the edge and it got him feeling really, he was feeling really sad. He felt scared by the way that I responded. My voice got loud. Yeah. And in that moment, in my brain, I'm going, fuck, you're such an asshole. <laughs> he's six. Remember he's six. You're 34 fucking years old. I just right. started beating myself up about it, which was what I've done most of my life whenever I didn't mm -hmm. quote unquote, get it right. Yeah. But now I know that there's, it's so, it's so much more important, not that I get it right in every moment, but that I have a recovery system for, how I come back. And it took me a few minutes. My wife was trying to help me. She was like saying the right things. You know, she's like, Hey, yeah. I know how difficult it get. And I didn't want to hear her. I was just like, so angry with myself, yeah. you know, <laughs> and it probably took me maybe five minutes, maybe five minutes. And then I looked at him and he was, I could tell he was really sad. He wanted to connect. He was giving yeah. me the opening and, but he needed me to go first. And so I had yeah. to like totally soften and then look at him and just say, Hey, I'm really sorry that I responded that way. That's not how yeah. I want to respond to you. Even though I was upset with what you were doing, that's not how I want to respond. Can we, can we, um, what did I say? Something along the lines of, can we, can we have a do over or can we, can we mm -hmm. cream, you know, make this yeah. better? And he, nice. you know, and then he opened up and extended to me and it was, and then, you know, he was sitting on my lap two seconds later, finishing his dinner and, you know, we're laughing. So yeah, that becomes available when I'm willing to, soften but so it, it, even in that moment man i've been doing this for years too it was so difficult for me to access that because of the chatter in the brain exactly yeah my wife and i that's a beautiful example thanks for sharing that my my wife and i were leading this event this two-day retreat uh we we lead around conflict and uh a woman a couple comes on and on zoom and we're she was like her and her husband are like we just don't know how to you know get back to zero we don't know how to get back to that good place and we talk about it for hours and my wife was like, just try putting your hand on him right now. And she was kind of didn't want to, right? Because when we're in that place, like you're saying, we're so contracted and we don't, it's like the last thing we want to do is extend, take responsibility, kind of own our part or whatever. And uh, she did. And you could tell the guy just immediately started to relax. And, and then we said, you know, why don't you try that with her? And um, within two minutes, they were in a better place just through touch with no words. So sometimes it's just, we got to reach through that like kind of animal in us that just wants to just shut down and push everybody away. And it's like just the reach alone and putting a hand on someone we care about our son or our wife or whoever it is 
It's huge because it's, it's touch is a, is a major mover in settling the nervous system. Yeah. So I just want to throw that out as, as another option too. I love that. I love that option. And it, it is amazing how, as soon as we make the decision to open, yeah. it, the opening can happen very quickly. It doesn't really take much time. doesn't take much effort. All of a sudden we remember, oh, I love this person. I just got pissed off for a second. But yeah. sometimes the the hurdle to get to that point, just that little bit of opening so that yeah. the floodgates can really open is a big thing. And even in that yeah. example you shared, these two people were still in a room with you and your wife supporting them with the rest of the people who were there, however many that was. Yeah. It's different when it's just, me and my wife behind closed doors and I, and and one of us has to decide that we're going to go first. That's, it's difficult. Yeah, exactly. I call that, you know, it's like leadership. It's, it's, who's going to be the relational leader here, not keeping score at all. Just like one of us has got to step forward here. (laughs) (laughs) And so rather than say, you need to go first, it's like, I just try to push myself whenever I can. Yeah. Which is such a, that's, that's the thing right there, right? Is it's not a matter of keeping score. I, I've learned this with my wife because sometimes in my, it's funny, the things that we have in our, in our minds, but sometimes yeah. we'll be in that moment of conflict and I'll look at her and I'll say, I went first last time. Like in my head, I'm not saying, I'm like, <laughs> totally. I went first last time. It's your turn. It's your yeah. turn to wave the white flag. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. Um, yeah. But like, I love what you just said right there of taking the responsibility. Like, okay, you know what? It's not about her. It's not about how often I've done this recently. It's, do I have the ability and the desire and the willingness to, to, to go first and not have yeah. that be something that's weak or like I'm surrendering to her will or authority, but doing it for the relationship. Yeah. And there's, when we go first, there's two, I like to say there's two paths. We can either speak as like, um, I want to talk first, which is if you're going to talk first, it's, it's not about justifying, defending, explaining it's take ownership for whatever mm-hmm. you did or didn't do. If you're going to speak uh, or the other option, the other path is to listen first. And I, I usually prefer this one, which is, and the commitment is I'm going to listen to you until you feel understood. I call it LUFU, L-U-F-U. And it's a whole process I have for people, but I made the commitment years ago to stop defending myself with my wife, although I still do it sometimes. And if I just make this commitment, I'm going to listen to you until you feel understood. And you, you actually are the person that's going to tell me if you feel understood or not. I'm not going to be over here saying, I do too understand. I know exactly what you're saying. Like that's defending, right? So if I, I just put it in her court and it's just changed the game. <laughs> oh man, you've got so many masterful tools, man. It's clear that you've been working, working inside the arena for many, many years. It's, I yeah. really respect it because it's, it's very confirming. Uh, I feel like my, right. myself, I'll, I won't even speak for my wife, but just myself, I still feel like I'm just learning how to, how to carry my tools around in relationship and feel very clumsy when I'm wielding them. It's, but it, it's also good to hear that as a man who's been doing this for decades now, you still, you're like, yeah, I still have those clumsy moments that those, those oh, yeah. never really go away. Yeah, they don't. And this is where people get into a fantasy. If you do the work long enough, or if you meet the right person, you'll just sort of somehow be on the summit and there, there is no summit. There's a lot of false summits, but there's no summit. Yes. Uh, just I, on the journey. I love that too, because there's a lot of people I see now, especially men in the rising man community, guys who I have in my cohort of like the twenties and the 30 year old guys in the world right now who have that mentality that they're so, they're so gun shy about getting into relationships because they know that they still have all that emotional baggage. They still have all those traumatic experiences from past relationships and they don't want to bring them in and they don't Mm -hmm. even want to get into a relationship because they're like, I want to, I want to work on myself until I'm ready. Oh, interesting. Yep. So, so what would you have to say to those guys? I'd say, bro, don't, don't do that. That's, that's one approach. Um, another approach is, um, whoever you meet, 
uh, whenever it is next year, next month is going to be a great training partner mm. and is going to be a great healing partner for you to keep, keep working through your stuff. Cause there's only so much stuff we can do in isolation and on our own, or even in a men's group. It's like, sometimes you just need to get, get into a relationship and, and clumsily find your way and make messes and clean them up. And that's where you really get the reps in, you know, is yeah. in a relationship. Yeah, I, I know I mentioned this before we started recording, but I I took uh, Justin Sterling's uh, uh, men's weekend course a, a long yeah. time ago, and one of the things that's one of the distinctions he offers for short short term and long term relationships is that's what short term relationships are for is to work that stuff out and yeah. and to get clear on what we're what do we I bring into a relationship? What do I need to work on? What am I looking for in a partnership? And if we're just waiting on the sidelines, then we're never going to be ready for a long term committed one. You got to get in there and get your get your swings in at some point. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Hit a few balls out into the trees, out into the rough. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Miss a few, duff a few. Yep. That's the program. There you go. Um, so I also really respect the way that you speak about having uncomfortable conversations. Um, we haven't really talked about your book yet. You alluded to it there in a minute, the getting to zero process and then the book you have called getting to zero. So just talking about navigating conflict in relationships. I know for myself, conflict period, was really uncomfortable for me as a kid. I was very yeah. sheltered from conflict. I didn't, I was able to make it through most of my life without having to have too many. And I think a lot of us for one reason or another are very unprepared to be in conflict situations, even if it's just verbal conflict. So mm -hmm. I'd love to hear some of your wisdom on that and what you share with people who are trying to figure that out for themselves. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I was like you too, just my parents were actually pretty good about good meaning, um, skillful about and they made the choice to kind of have their fights behind closed doors. But what that did is it gave me zero download about how to actually work through shit with anyone. Mm -hmm. Cause I never really saw them work through anything. Um, and then they, when we had conflict with us, they never really repaired it afterwards. So I, I got, I felt very incapable in adult relationships. Um, and when things would get conflictual, I would push the woman away like, Oh, you know, cause basically it's like, you're making me uncomfortable. So why don't you go away? And I'd go drinking and climbing with my friends and I felt better. So I concluded it must be her, right? When really it was me and my inability. So this is really normal. Uh, any man listening, it's really normal to be conflict avoidant, conflict averse. Uh, I don't, you know, people see me as some conflict expert guy. It doesn't mean I like conflict at all. Uh, it means that I just know a lot about it and I know how to get to the other side, right? But it's still as uncomfortable for me as it is you or anyone else listening. It's just uncomfortable. It's not fun. Um, I don't like how I feel, but I really love how I feel afterwards. And if we take the view that conflict's an opportunity to learn about ourselves, learn about our partner, our loved ones, and grow, um, it's never a problem really, right? And then there's big conflicts, like if, if we're in an abusive relationship, the lesson there isn't to like, tough it out and work it out. It's to get out. Um, so we're not talking about that kind of conflict and we're not talking about war, violence. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about interpersonal day in, day out, family relationship, high stake conflicts with people. Right. Yeah. Uh, and really how people have it set up just to, I'll just, um, share this one last frame is like two shitty choices. So, um, people avoid conflict because choice a is if I speak my truth, the other person might go away. They might get so upset, they might cut me off or get mad or it could get worse. That's if I speak up, choice A. Choice B is I won't speak up. B for business as usual, I won't say anything because I don't want to rock the boat. But then I, I I keep the relationship with the person, but I lose my relationship with myself. So what do I want? Do I want to 
lose the relationship with them or do I want to lose the relationship with myself? Well, those are two shitty choices, right? So people stay stuck in indecision and essentially indecision turns into choice B where they just coast along business as usual, um, betray myself and I'll just kind of, I'll have a relationship and that's not fulfilling and that's not very, um, that's not a very sexy relationship. So I advocate for choice C, which is go back to choice A and go conflict. C for conflict is I'm going to go towards speaking my truth and I'm going to, I'm going to rock the boat because it matters. My voice matters. I matter. Um, What I feel matters. And I want to share it with this person. And I might not know how uh, to do it very well. And it might get messy here, but I'm going to do it because at least I'll have my integrity and myself. Right. So I always encourage people to, to speak up, even though it's hard. I really like that. And that makes me think of another, maybe another C that fits into C there is consequences, except willing to accept the consequences of what the fallout might be. Cause that's where I usually get stuck is I don't want to accept what might happen if I speak my truth, because it might, like you said, somebody might walk away from me. Somebody might come back at me harder. Somebody might say something that makes me realize I'm wrong. And then I have to admit that I'm wrong and I got upset for no reason. And so if I'm just willing to accept the, the consequences or the cost of me, speaking my truth, then it's like, okay, well, at least I said it and I was willing to accept whatever came, but that's also, I know a challenge for a lot of people is because we're so committed to being right. Cause that's where we find safety. Yeah. 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 I love those ads. That's great. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I also wanted to ask you this piece. I had this one written down before we start to wrap it up that another narrative out there around men and emotions and relationship is to what degree should we be honest with our partners? right? There's a whole school of thought Mm -hmm. out there, right? Mm -hmm. Like some people that are like, well, I think I should tell my partner everything. I know when I got into a relationship and I was like, well, if I want a relationship that's going to last, I need to share everything about me with my partner. And then I started to take an inventory of all the crazy fucked up thoughts that come in my head. And I was like, is there there a woman out there that's going to really want to hear all of this stuff? And for many years, kind of going back and forth and trying to figure out, well, what's the, what's the sweet spot for me? So what is it for you, at least in, in your thoughts? Yeah. My wife and I have an agreement that we really share just about everything with each other. Now that doesn't, but, but it's like with an asterisk and the asterisk is kind of speaking to what you just said, which is we're not sharing every little crazy thought. We're not every time a a gorgeous woman walks by, I'm not sharing that with her. Um, there's just, I'm I'm not going to do that kind of stuff, but if I'm, let's say I'm sneaking in, porn on the weekends or, or let's say I'm, uh, smoking weed and I'm worried that she's what she's going to think if I smoke weed once in a while. And so I don't share that. We're, we're, our marriage is like, no, let's not do that. We're not down for that. Mm-hmm. Like if that stuff surfaces in either of us, for whatever reason, we want to bring it to the table and be honest and just say, look, this is kind of a neurotic thing I do. And I'm kind of ashamed of it, but it's important that I bring it out in the open here uh, for our marriage and for our connection. Cause I think, I think you need to know this about me. That's the kind of transparency that we're advocating for in our marriage. And that I um, try to get people to do in theirs is, you know, most things, especially if it would upset my partner, we're going to share. Um, and sometimes that's uncomfortable. Yeah. And I mean, you said 18 years of being together, right? Yeah. So 18 years of time where you guys have found your way into this sweet spot that works for both of you. But what what would you say is the ultimate way that you guys arrived at that? Is it, is it just years and years of reps and honest conversations? (laughs) Well, we, the way I like to describe it is the first three years, we were two psychotherapists, you know, trying to work our shit out. And so we'd go in for hours in circles 
um, analyzing each other and kind of, well, you said this and you're projecting this. And there was a lot of that kind of speak. <laughs> it was very inefficient and slow, yeah. uh, but that's where, whatever, that's where we were at. And we also had a very deep spiritual view that when you get triggered, that's kind of your problem. When I get triggered, that's my problem. And we, so we went to the separate corners of our house to sort of, and our spiritual practices, meditation, yoga type stuff to like deal with our shit, therapy, whatever. And now we've, we've sort of, it's like transcend and include. It's like, we do that sometimes still, but we've more, we've learned through really attachment science and understanding neuroscience and the nervous system. For us, uh, we found it more efficient to work together as a team to figure out what's going on rather than let's go to separate corners of the house. Let's stay in the room and let's see if on the spot we can actually look in each other's eyes use touch and use ownership and the different tools we teach and get back to a good place. And it's, it's just been proven way more efficient. It's more efficient with our kids. We don't tell our kids to go to their room when they're upset. We say, all right, nope, let's stay here and work it out. Um, so we like really the nervous system, polyvagal theory, the brain, how we social mammals operate has helped us like un deeply understanding that has helped us get more efficient. And then we're, we're a big fan of, a secure, strong relationship. And so we, we understand that adversity, the challenges between us are what builds strength, right? It's not the absence of the adversity, it's adversity in our differences and being so committed to working through those that's built a strong partnership. I love it, man. I love it. I love what you, what you guys are doing. Sounds like a lot of really good stuff out there that anybody could benefit from. I'm certainly... My, my fascination is peaked and I, I got to say, I haven't dug into your book yet, but congratulations. I, I've, I've looked at Thanks, what man. you shared out there. It sounds like it's doing really well. And man, there's a lot of people out there who, who need that kind of distinction in their life. So I, I'll give you an opportunity to tell everybody where to go find it and how to go and buy their copy on Amazon. But would you just say a little bit more about getting to zero and what that book is about and, and just that process in general for anyone who doesn't know? Yeah, for sure. Thanks. Uh, getting to zero basically just means getting back to a good place. Zero is the good place, like zero conflict. Zero, if you think of zero to 10, 10 is I'm really triggered. Five is I'm pretty triggered. Zero is I'm not triggered and we're connected. Um, I, I don't know about you and the listeners, but I want to live my life at zero with the people I care most about, right? Yes. If we have beef, I want to work through it. So we're cool again, right? Because mm -hmm. I like that feeling in my life. I don't like to lose sleep over shit. I don't feel good with that person. It feels bad. And I'm up at night spinning in my wheels and so I wrote a book because I, I feel like this is the crux of any successful long-term relationship is conflict and the inability or unwillingness to work through it. So I was like, okay, I, I feel like if I had to put all my chips in here on, on us, a relationship subject, it's this. So I wrote a book um, and it's really for people just, you know, the sub subject line is how to work through conflict in your high stakes relationships. So that's business partnerships, family relationships, intimate partners, um, those are because a lot's at stake, right? If those don't go well, we could lose a lot. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's just a practical tool guide. A lot of guys like it because there's lots of charts and diagrams and shit. <laughs> and <steps. laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. You were thinking yeah, about like the men when you wrote it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And I'm a dude. So I, I, that's how I operate. I'm like, I love lists and like visuals and, you know. Oh, that's yeah. awesome, man. I love it. Well, I'm, I'm, do you have an audio version of it or is it just... I the, do. Yeah. I, I read the whole book on Audible. So that's available as well. And that seems to be doing way better than the print book. So. Yeah. 
I don't know about I don't know about the other guys out there, but I, I definitely prefer audiobooks. Uh, even just reading just puts me to sleep. It's not even that I don't like reading; I just fall asleep. So, yeah, um, I'm, I'm definitely going to pick up my copy and listen to it. I got a few people I think would really benefit from it, so we'll make sure we put the information in the show notes so people can grab their copy too. Mm-hmm. Um, I really appreciate your time, Jason. It's been awesome to get to know you a little bit more and and see the connections that we have and the way that we see things. I got a few lightning lightning round questions I want to ask you before you. Yeah, bring it. All right, here we go. Yep. So what's one thing you've learned in your life that you wish you knew when you were 18? How to take responsibility for my behavior and part in a relationship. Man, every 18-year-old just needs that, right? Just roll it right <laughs> into the senior <laughs> senior curriculum, high schools across the country. Um, yeah. What do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Ooh, um, that's hard to say because I, I don't want to put my values on other people, but I would, um, if I had to put my values on other people, <laughs> <laughs> I would say, uh, don't tell yourself a story that, um, you're not nurturing. You're not sensitive. You're not good at relationship. You don't understand feelings. That's just a story. It's a narrative that you purchased when you were young. Um, you can evolve through that and tell yourself a new story, um, that makes you a way more integrated man. I like that a lot. All right. Uh, what is one thing the world needs more or less of from men right now? Um, more relational capacities, uh, less, less kind of patriarchal domineering. Um, yeah. Sort of self-absorbed behaviors. Nice combo. It's a good one, two punch. And uh, great, man. Last but not least, where would you like people to go to follow you, to find out more about you, purchase their copy of Getting to Zero? Give us the, all the links. Yeah. At Jason Gaddis on Instagram. That's J-A-Y-S-O-N-G-A-D-D-I-S. Um, I'm pretty active there. Relationshipschool.com is our main site with the podcast. We have a great podcast. My wife and I jam on that a lot. I've interviewed tons of probably the world's best in that subject. Um, getting to zero book.com is if you want to take a conflict quiz and learn your conflict style. That's kind of a fun thing to do. And then you can, you know, go, if you're a local indie person, you can go, um, you know, grab a book or go demand it at the counter of your local indie shop because they probably don't have it. (laughs) (laughs) Ask them to order it for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love it, Jason, man. Uh, so much respect for your, your work. It's clear that you have put so much love, energy and time and attention into honing your craft. It's, it's, it's effortless in the way that it rolls through you. Mm. Um, really respect what you're doing out there, man. I'll have to come visit you at the family, but we're going to be moving to Austin. Like I said, but we got the magic school bus. We're planning to cruise our way through the Rocky mountains over the summer. So maybe we'll be able to knock on your door and say hi to the family. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Look me up if you do, man. Jetty, it's been great chatting. Thanks so much. Wonderful, man. Look forward to catching up next time. All right, y'all make sure you swing over to risingman.org for all the notes, resources, and everything mentioned here in this episode and every other episode. You can get it all there with the show notes, et cetera, as well as all the information for our revamp membership space, the Rising Man Brotherhood. Go to risingman.org slash brotherhood for all the information today. Please subscribe to the podcast. Give us those five-star reviews. Make sure you also subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the rising man movement, and give us a follow on Instagram at rising man movement. Shout out to everybody 
everybody listening. Shout out to everybody repping Rising Man all over the world. Much love to you and yours. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny. <laughs>